We have the guy who designed the Google Chrome browser logo. We have a guy who wrote press releases for Apple. We have a lady that designed video ads for Sony. These are people that you couldn't hire. It was just impossible. Welcome to Noah Kagan Presents. What up, party people? It's your boy, Peter Bread, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. Today's episode was a very hard-to-get guest, but we got him. He's part of our Israeli series. He's Micha Kaufman, the CEO and co-founder of Fiverr.com, which has raised over $110 million and has taken the freelancing world by storm. If you're starting a business or growing a business, you're going to love this chat. Recently, I even started using Fiverr and got an ebook designed. Other designers that I emailed were charging at least $1,500. And on Fiverr, how much do you think I spent? Drumroll, please. Brrr, 85 bucks. And I got an impressive ebook in two days. You can see it yourself at appsumo.com slash Tony Robbins. If you're interested to hear how a billion-dollar company grew from nothing, you're going to love this chat. Three specific things that you'll learn are, how did Fiverr go from a bootstrap company into a massively successful business? How Micha uses a true north metric to focus his team on the most important goal to grow. And third, fascinating lessons on finding your purpose and avoiding burnout as you get older. We talk about this and a bunch more. Enjoy. Before we get started, I wanted to thank you for listening to this episode. Yes, you, Mr. Earlobe. I love it when you say you listen and took action for yourself. If you have a moment, can you hit star on your favorite episodes on the Overcast app? It's my favorite app for listening to podcasts. There's a bunch of great features when you start checking it out. This is not sponsored. I just like using it and want you to have good tools too. Let's come back to the beginning. So just a few of the basic questions for people who don't know Fiverr. How big is Fiverr and how do you measure that? You know, I think that Fiverr, certainly in our market, Fiverr is probably the most transacted marketplace in the world. We've uh, processed well over 30 million transactions on the platform. We're talking about a million transactions every month. It's pretty sizable. No, it, so it's amazing, dude. It's a good start. <laughs> it is funny. People even with Sumo, they say, oh, wow, you guys are huge. I say, you know, Sumo.com, we're on 0.1% of the internet. I'm like, we've just begun. How did you come up with the idea of Fiverr and think through the business? Because this is something that I don't think people actually recognized the amount of thought that you put into it when you told me originally, because I think people thought, oh, some guys, I didn't even know they're Israeli, just threw up the site, and then people just came and used it. What was the impetus? How did this come to be? Well, I think when you hit an interesting idea, it's actually great that people think that it was easy. It means that you've done a good job of making it look very easy and welcoming and as if it was an obvious idea. The idea behind this was this understanding of the fact that there were trends that were happening, macro trends, where freelancing was gaining momentum. That was back in 2009. And it was just at the end of the recession of 08. How did you see that? First, millennials got into the workspace at that point, and they were seeing their parents losing their seemingly safe jobs back in the recession of 08. So this accelerated that trend. We were seeing that was 30% of the American workforce. We said, holy shit, that's huge. And that's growing? What can that be? And there were some researches that were studies that were showing that might be 40% by 2020. This is a huge market. 
we've done a back of the envelope calculation. We said, that's a trillion dollars in the US alone, which is, I don't know, like a quarter of the global economy. We said, okay, so this is big. Let's look at what's happening. And we said, okay, great. So how much of that is really happening online? At that point, that was about 1%. So 99% of freelancing was happening offline. We looked at what was out there and we said, we're in the economy of you know, getting things done or do it for me. I'm gonna hire you. You're great at something, awesome, just do it. Let me know when you're done. And this is where we came up with this concept of having a real revolution, which is the foundation of Fiverr, which is the experience of buying a service online should be as easy as buying a product on Amazon. That's where magic happens. And we said, 20 years, the market has been educating all of us to do this one-click purchase on e-commerce. Can we do that for freelancing? That was really it. Two things I want to emphasize. Number one, there's always room for opportunity and for creating your own opportunity. Where like there was all these other competitors out there. And I think of it like restaurants. You open a new restaurant, you said, hey, everyone's doing X. We're going to go do Y because this is actually what's important. It took you some time. It's taken you seven and a half years to get to a point where you're this large. You were talking earlier about how big Fiverr is. Which of your freelancers, what's like the biggest success story on the platform? There was a nice story on Forbes about this great lady from Houston, Texas, that have done over a million dollars on the platform. I think this year she's going to net about $650,000 a year. Just to give you a sense, the average freelancer in the US makes $45,000 a year. She's an HR specialist and she's built a great career around that. And at some point she wanted to focus a little bit on young kids at home and she really wanted to focus a little bit more on her home, but she didn't want to get thrown out of the career cycle. She was looking for things that she can do and she came across Fiverr and she started offering like basic stuff. I'll review your uh, resume and give you some tips. And that was probably, I don't know, like $15, $20. I think her average order right now is about $800. The gig economy really splits between two areas, unskilled labor and skilled labor. You don't need to have a special skill to drive a car. You don't necessarily have to have a, a special skill to rent your home. It's really utilization of assets versus skilled labor. Do something you're passionate about. Do something you're really, really good at, like a skill that you actually gained, which is really important. I feel that there is a lot of cynicism and sarcasm about the gig economy being a race to the bottom. What I'm really proud about Fiverr is that Fiverr is a race to the top. And the reason is we started really low. And what we've done in the past seven and a half years since we launched is go up market. We're helping people do more money, not less. It's a race to the top. And this is really great. And what we've done with the launch of Fiverr Pro is just another step in that. Here's the thing I wonder though, Fiverr's known for being cheap. It's known for being very affordable. I agree. There's a big difference between cheap and affordable. Oh, great there point. Is. Fiverr is known for being affordable. Thank you. And I think that's a great point. Why jump to like this high end, this premium, best of the best, the elite? The answer is we've been getting a tremendous amount of ask from our community. So I've spent $20 with you guys. I spent 50. I spent 100. I'm ready to spend 500. Who do I put those 500 on? Where do I put my chips? I want to do more with the platform. I'm a business. I'm getting everything on Fiverr. Now I need someone super professional to do something bigger for me. Who do I work with? In graphic design, we have the guy who designed the Google Chrome browser logo. 
We have a guy who wrote press releases for Apple. We have a lady that designed video ads for Sony and Sachi and Sachi. These are people that you couldn't hire. It was just impossible. Now you don't hire them. You just need to click the button. How do you decide what to listen to? You know, you've heard stories where the customers are saying this, but like, what have you not listened to that they asked for? Anything that contradicts a framework that we believe in. A framework for Fiverr is we're an e-commerce platform. We do everything we can in one click. If you want to hire someone, if you want to start a project, click the button. That's it. If anyone is pushing us to do something that involves more friction, we're not going to do it because it goes against our frameworks. I took so many notes after I left hanging out with you. And one of the notes I took was how you guys think of yourself as an e-commerce platform, not necessarily just a marketplace for freelancers, which I think most people perceive you as, but it's interesting. And once you said it, I realized it. Yeah, I go to Fiverr. It says, here's a service. Here's the price. Buy it now. When you go to a freelancer, it's like, I have to go and negotiate. I have to get out my Jewish handbook and all these things to uh, so, <laughs> figure well, out a price. Well, yeah. What really sets Fiverr apart is exactly that, is you are now able to get any digital service in just one click. This is just taking away whatever friction you can think of that involves in working with a freelancer. Everything is baked into the product. Well, with this new thing, this super high-end thing, how do you guys think about that? Do you launch it to have a hypothesis or do you just launch or do you beta? It's been a product that we've been playing with for a long, long time. And it was really waiting for the right moment where we thought that the marketplace was going up market. Look at what customers are actually doing with your product. And these are your signals. If people are hacking your product in order to do something, it means that your product should have that baked into it. If they do that repeatedly, if you see trends like that, it means that you have your own notion about the product, but people actually are using it the way they want to use it. For freelancers, the single number one biggest problem that they have in life is getting customers. Fiverr is really, really good at bringing customers. For customers, it's about getting <laughs> shit done. It's not just affordability, it's selection. One of the reasons why Amazon succeeded so much was because they've built the largest catalog but the fact that they had so many categories and they got you hooked on the experience, you didn't look anywhere else. It was that simple to use. Hit the fucking button. It's that simple. You said you have a true North metric. And I thought that was really insightful where a lot of people say, how much money are you making or how many employees do you have? And, and you said, actually, I'm more interested in something else. My point was that when you think about a growth company, a company that obsesses about growth, you need to give a North star for the team. So you need one, you need to figure out within your business, what is the number one indicator that every other KPI is a lagging indicator to that, or it folds into it. And every business has its own. Sometimes it's monthly active users. What's really interesting about this is that basically every product or company goes through two main phases. The first one is a zero to one. Zero to one is product market fit. And what you really measure at that point is, does this bring value to customers? At that point, you do things that don't scale, which is great. It's high touch, white glove, you know, high involvement. As the CEO of the company, you do customer support. Why? Because you want to understand how people perceive your product, what's broken in it. You almost avoid scale at that point because you don't want to scale a broken product. And then you move to the one to end 
which is growth. And then you obsess about growth. At those two points, those two phases, the North Star might be something really, really different. What's interesting about the top line matrix when you think about the growth, the one to N, is that whatever you choose, and every business has its own, it needs to be a growth matrix. As an example, let's say you're a, you have a chat app, like WhatsApp, or, and you're growing. You probably, top line metric would be monthly active users. Why? Because it grows and it folds into it two very big groups, the first times and the repeat. So you can have teams that obsess about new users, and you can have teams that obsess about returning users. So you need to have both. This is what's really great in picking a North Star or a top line metric that folds everything into it. It really pushes you to do stuff. A lot of times what you see in products is that you see S-curves. At the beginning, you might hit a decrease in what you're doing, but what you're going to see is you're going to get out of that S-curve with a growth. Why? Because the people that stick with the product enjoy it much more, so they get retained when you know new and returning is baked on the top line matrix, eventually you're going to get the result that you want. What everyone's wondering is that you got the site, you have an amazing idea. I don't think people realize how big the idea actually is. You did, which is great. How did you fill originally the two-sided market? Because you do need a bunch of people wanting to buy and you need people being able to offer work. So if other people wanted to start something not competitive, obviously, how did you do it? When you have a two-sided marketplace, anything starts with supply. Think about that. Think about Uber drivers, Airbnb hosts, Amazon inventory, Fiverr sellers. It always starts with supply. You need to be able to serve customers. We tried everything. We were joining forums and talking to people and we were pitching to anyone who wanted to listen. And we went to dating sites to find people with interesting profiles that they were talking about their skills in a dating site, and we were saying, hey, we don't want to date you, but uh, maybe you can offer your services. The one thing we didn't do, this was a decision that we've made, was we're not going to buy it. What we really focused on was two things, stickiness and virality. We want people to explore the site and hang out. One of the measurements for that is like pages per visit, as an example. Sometimes when you have high pages per visit, it means that your site actually sucks because people can't find anything. What we wanted is people to explore the catalog and really get engaged. And the other thing was we wanted a high viral coefficient, meaning that anyone who used the site or seen the site would tell five friends about it. And this was really our effort in, in making sure that whatever supply we can get, when we launched the site, we didn't officially launch it. We just opened it. So we didn't have anything. So what we've done is we were like three, four guys, and we just offered the services ourselves. I was doing graphic design. I had a gig where I would offer people to send me a recording of their elevator pitch, and I would give them comments on it. And so we started from that, and people got inspired. In a sense, it's really like Airbnb doing high touch of onboarding of the first hosts, sending photographers, making them look amazing. You create a standard. And then everybody who comes in after that said, okay, so that's the standard. I need to meet that standard to be listed as well. So they take the effort of taking great photos and describing their assets and stuff like that. We were doing the same. We were creating the baseline of the standard for that. And people that started joining organically, we actually had the trick, which was really nice. 
we had the listing page on the homepage. We had listings. You fall on listings. And there was a form with just one field. And the form started with the words, I will blank for $5 submit. And people saw the listings below that and said, is that it? If I type anything and I hit the button, would I get listed? Is it that easy? And the reality was that if you hit the button, it would take that data, put it in a form in a second page. But you've seen that you have like five more fields to fill, but you were invested already. It was super easy. So people did that. Some of them were just toying with it. What was like the weirdest thing you saw? People were trying everything to see if it would go live, but we had a mechanism for approval. It can go out of hand really easily. When we thought about the idea, we, we were sitting on a couch on our living room and we were talking about this and we, we said, you know what, let's come up with ideas of what can people offer on Fiverr. I think our imagination got us to a list of about 150 different services. Fiverr lists right now over 10 million services. We're adding 6,000 new services every day. How big did you think the company was going to be when you were sitting on that couch? You know, it's my fourth company. And for me, I said, I want to make a business that creates an impact. I want a business that creates value in a big way and changes the way people use the internet. And I said, it needs to be a minimum of $100 million. I said that to a few people. And after a couple of years, I said, fuck, I was aiming too low. And I said, no, it needs to be a $1 billion business. A year passed and I said, I was aiming too low. It's, we're talking about a four, $5 trillion total of a low market. I'm aiming low. It needs to be a multi-billion dollar business. And my point to the team, when I'm telling them, because of the fact that most of freelancing is still happening offline, my point to the team is, guys, it's 1995 for freelancing. What we're experiencing right now is the e-commerce revolution all over again in a different space. It's crazy that we're sitting on a rocket ship. As Bezos said, it's day one. It's really day one. We haven't even started. As you were filling your market, did anything start? You're like, we found the thing that worked early on? I don't think so, because you look at Airbnb. Airbnb is very verticalized. They own a very specific market. We were trying to build a horizontal solution from day one. So we had to fuel what at the beginning was about six categories. It's now 150. The number one pain of freelancers is getting customers. Number one, nothing else. And they're going to try anything. That's great. I mean, we have freelancers that are listed in other sites. And my point is, I'm not mad about that. They need customers. They need work. If we can't supply whatever they need, we're failing and we need to be better at that. We can't expect them to just use us if we can't fuel their business enough. But getting freelancers, the onboarding is low friction and you want people to join. They join because they have nothing to lose. And so the company's obviously grown from you and a few people on a couch to hundreds of people across the whole world, plus all the people you support. How has organizing the company evolved? There's really milestones in growth in team size that pushes you to face new challenges. As we were growing from tens of team members to hundreds of team members, we were facing some challenges of slowing down productivity. It's also about accountability and it's about people having a sense of urgency and having ownership around what they're doing. We've played with so many different things along the years, top down, bottom up, sideways, whatever. Really what happened recently was the understanding that when you do too much top down, people really 
just do what you ask them to do. They don't have any sense of accountability for that because you told them to do, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And what we really wanted to do here is to continue doing top-down, but putting the team at the top and putting the managers at the bottom. And the companies is a company of CEOs, right? So they come up, you give them North Star, you give them a direction, but you don't give them solutions. From the understanding of what they have in their domain, they can have those ideas, but then they come and pitch those ideas. Leadership and management is really looking really far ahead, dealing with strategy, and also doing the reviews with the CEOs of the company to figure out that we're just going the right direction and we're just not too much drinking our own Kool-Aid. We're being like being honest about how we how we do stuff. What I've seen with Sumo and AppSumo is exactly that where people don't want to be employees anymore. And the best people. People that just want jobs will go be employees and take orders and go do things. But the people who actually want to get paid, want to work on something special, want to work with great people, want to be running their own show. And so it's like saying, hey, we're going to give you all that plus a bunch of resources and money and other people to help you. I think of it as a reverse triangle. So instead of the CEO on top, everyone down, what you showed me in your example was like everyone on top and the CEO on the bottom. And I haven't actually seen it in real life until this company at Fiverr. You've been doing this seven and a half years. You've been running companies and creating them for a long time. How have you not burnt out? I mean, the opportunity to actually make a difference is something extremely motivating. It gives you a reason to go out of bed every morning. We have the opportunity to change the way people work. How crazy is that? We take unemployed people and give them work. We take people that didn't have enough money to pursue their dreams to it changed their lives. What can you ask more? It's extremely exciting. And the fact that we're feeling that we haven't even started is even more motivating. So it's really about purpose. What else can I do? Sit on the beach with the money? What's the purpose in that? You need to have purpose. Purpose is even more important than happiness to me. The last thing that I was interested in is that I am in Israel, I leave tomorrow. What is the difference between Israeli business and culture? A lot of people that are listening maybe have never been to Israel or they don't even know what to think of Israeli or Israeli. So I'm curious, like, what is the difference between Israeli people that work here as well as like Israeli business culture? You know, the Israeli culture is really interesting because it's a very young country. It has no real identity in the sense that it's just a mixture of people that came from all over the world to form a society, a culture. Israelis are a little bit more direct than most countries, by the way, not just the US, direct to the point of they'll tell you what they think. They're not going to be polite about it. They're not going to be politically correct about it, but they don't do that to offend you. It's just, that's how you talk here. Israelis are really warm, maybe in an exceptional way. I love this atmosphere. And I think they're really open. I mean, I was talking about diversity. I think there's total acceptance here of anyone different, I hope at least much more so than I've seen in other countries and other cultures. And this is something that I'm proud about. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Micha. My challenge for you this week is to think of what is your one true north metric for your business? Is it monthly active users, web sessions, revenue? What is it for yourself? Leave a comment on okdork.com slash podcast slash 40 and let me know. Then don't forget to say hi to Micha on Twitter. That's at Micha, M-I-C-H-A, Kaufman, K-A-U-F-M-A-N, and visit Fiverr.com. 
Have a great day. Who's your favorite, Tupac or Biggie?